Welcome to House Mookin episode 28, The Call of the Void. I want to start this one off by going to a website called Life Science. Uh, Life Science is mostly supported by its audience. So um, this this is really, really good stuff. And we're going to talk about the void. We're going to talk about shadow possession. And um, the shadow, the void, what it represents, what it means. And uh, we're going to uh, go over an old biblical story to watch it, to watch how the Bible portrays it. And then uh, I'm going to finish it up with a little personal story of my own, a little bit of testimony. And then uh, I'm going to kind of finish it up with uh, the positives of uh, shadow possession, uh, shadow integration, and uh, all of these, these, these complex ideas. So, <clears throat> first and foremost, I would like to kind of say my piece on the void itself. The void... As I've said in the, the previous podcast about Lucifer is represented in the blackness and the creation story, the blackness of the earth or, or the deep. <clears throat> uh, this is a place that that biblically Lucifer was was there. He was he was here when there was nothing here but the void. The call of the void is the call of the underworld. It's the call of what lies beneath uh, every human skin. And uh, this call uh, calls out to everyone. And it does so in a way that if you aren't aware of the darkness within yourself, it can become very difficult for you to differentiate between right and wrong, uh, your own motivations for why you do the things that you do, and so on and so forth. It, it spills over into all kinds of shit to where you can start creating your own damn narratives. And uh, I'm going to use this time to kind of lay out how and why that happens scientifically, uh, religiously, spiritually and then we're going to do this IRL and uh should be good so first let me do some last minute mechanics to make sure I do not there we go there's that okay and now let's get on with it so what is the call of the void why this is uh, published by Joe uh, Phelan. This was in uh, December thirteenth of twenty twenty one, so relatively recent. Starts off with it says, uh, "Why do we sometimes feel this urge? What is the call of the void?" Here we go. Um, Have you ever stood on a balcony, leaning over the edge, and unexpectedly thought, "If I wanted to, I could just jump," or perhaps you've been at a cliff's edge? with the intention of doing nothing more than enjoying the view and fleetingly considered how easy it would be to simply step over the edge. 
This sudden, often unanticipated thought is usually nothing to be worried about, but it certainly warrants exploration. Now, this feeling, this feeling, it, it's, it's very common. You'd actually be quite surprised how common it is. Um, in fact, and this is, this is me reading again, in fact, it's also common, it's, it's so common, the French have a term for it, which I, 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 I'm not even going to try to say this in French, but it's uh, Le Paul David, I think. I think I said it right. In English, this translates to the call of the void. Continuing reading. But even though many individuals, over half of people, uh, two small studies suggest, have reportedly experienced the call of the void. It hasn't been studied widely. Let's see. So what do scientists know about the call of the void, which is also known as the high place phenomenon? And what has research uh, revealed about it? See, the first significant study on the phenomenon, published in 2012 in the Journal of Affective Disorders, surveyed 431 undergraduate students and found that just over half of those who had never had suicidal thoughts had experienced aspects of the phenomenon at least once, whereas over 75% of lifetime suicide. Um, uh, editors, ideators, or people who have suicidal thoughts or ideas reported experiencing the urge to jump from the window of a tall building or from a bridge. It's putting it here, and, I, and I'm going to be 100% real with you. I have called this hotline before, and uh, honestly, before, literally not too, too much before I started... Um, really really going down uh the rabbit hole on a lot of these religious talks uh before i started this when i when i was homeless before all of this kind of really started for me and uh really kind of paying attention to the world i called the national suicide prevention uh lifeline because it was just something that just kind of popped into my head to do and you have no idea how reassuring those are some of the nicest people i ever talked to in my life the, the i almost every now and then i feel the urge to call them again because the people that they have for for, for the national suicide prevention lifeline from my experience are people who completely understand the issues and the topics that i'm about to lay out and this, the woman that I talked to, she was the most compassionate person I had ever heard. And I told her, I basically told her whole, my whole life story, and it was, it was, it was reassuring. It was refreshing. It was nice, and I was able to pick myself up and uh, and move on because of her understanding. She didn't even really give me a whole lot of advice. It was just the the ability to to have someone sit and listen and give you know. Uh, constructive criticism you know actionable feedback and without like bias or embellishments and it was it was nice the national suicide prevention lifeline is uh, 800-273-8255 if you feel the suicidal thoughts coming into your system in any way shape or form and you feel the call of the void getting to you feel like stepping in front of a bus or a car which i've had these thoughts before 
uh, I would suggest calling this number just so you can get whatever's weighing on your heart off your chest. It might help you to move forward in life. So let's continue reading. The study showcased for the first time that there was not an exclusive link between suicidal addiction and experiencing sudden unanticipated thoughts related to placing oneself in imminent danger. In fact, the study determined that there was a clear difference, a clear difference between an individual imagining the possibility of leaping from a high place and wanting uh, to act on it. Goes to say, uh, prior to undertaking the study, the researchers hypothesized that the call of the void could be a misinterpreted safety signal. We'll get into that later. Uh, with those experiencing it, potentially, I would say when I, when I say getting into that later, um, this is kind of like the beginning of the talk on this stuff when we're talking about the call of the void itself. Now we're going to be talking about another aspect of the call of the void, which is the shadow. Uh, from Jungian philosophy or Carl Jung and we're going to step into how this translates both of these ideas translate into biblical thought and uh, they do you'd be surprised uh, but uh, there is a, there is a positive side to the call of the void uh, and we'll get into that later on so let's just see what was up. Prior to undertaking the study, the researchers hypothesized that the call of the void could be a misinterpreted safety signal, with those experiencing it potentially misreading the brain, encouraging them to move away from danger. And the results uh, seem to support this theory. Moreover, individuals with higher self-reported anxiety levels were more likely to have felt the call than those with lower self-reported levels of anxiety. As a result, the study's lead, uh, the study's lead researcher, Jennifer Hames, who did the research as a clinical psychologist at Florida State University and is now an assistant clinical professor of psychology at the University of Notre Dame, concluded that Somewhat paradoxically, the call of the void could well be a person's subconscious attempting to encourage a greater appreciation of what it feels like to be alive, as opposed to wanting to lure someone to their demise. Believe me, we're going to get into that later. Indeed, the study seems to indicate that the call of the void could indicate that someone has a higher than average degree of sensitivity when it comes to experiencing and interpreting internal cues. A more recent study published in 2020 in the journal uh, BMC Psychiatry, Psychiatry uh, also investigated whether the call of the void was more prevalent in people with suicidal addiction than those uh, with no suicidal addiction. Uh, as some people who reported feeling the call of the void were concerned, it could signal something more troubling about their mental state. Now, this is uh, more reading on. In our outpatient clinic, people repeatedly presented themselves with the question of whether they were suicidal. Study lead researcher Tobias Tesman, a faculty member in the Department of Clinical Psychology and Psychotherapy at Ruhr, at Ruhr University, uh, Bosham in Germany, told, science, uh, told Live Science in an email. On the one hand, and this is uh, him speaking, on the one hand, uh, quote, there were very, uh, they were very attached to life, but on the other, they often felt the impulse to jump down somewhere or steer their car into, an un into oncoming traffic. 
I know the phenomenon myself, having felt it in my early 20s. So I knew studying it, studying, studying it would be a fascinating and clinically relevant. Tesman, continuing reading, recruited 276 adults who filled in an online questionnaire as well as 94 participants who were experiencing a clinically relevant fear of flying. So these are two different groups of people. Continue reading. Meaning they sought medical or psychological assistance in an attempt to overcome their phobia. So, just to break off for a second. So Tesman recruits 276 students who filed an online questionnaire. Now these guys, these guys, these are kids. You know, well, they're adults, of course, but I mean, they did it through through the university system. Got a whole bunch of of adults, young adults, 276 of them, and then got some people who actually had been who had actually gone psychotherapy and gone into therapy for an actual fear, which is a fear of flying. So these two. In a way, two different groups of people that have a commonality in a fear of a falling off place. So let's go. Tesman looked at both groups to investigate the prevalence of the phenomenon across both samples, he said. Let's see. Uh, the study found that those who had experienced suicidal thoughts were also likely to have felt the call of the void than those without suicidalization. But Tesman doesn't believe this reveals a link between experiencing the call and wanting to harm oneself, which is very true, and you'll understand what I mean in a second. The phenomenon is more often reported by people who react to body signals rather anxiously, he explained. In other words, people who experience shaking, light dizziness, and or muscle twitches are often likely to recall experiencing the phenomenon. It's, this is a more quote. It seems to be something known to many people, regardless of suicidality and anxiety, Tesman said. As such, it is normal and not a sign of psycho, psycho, uh, psychopathology. But another way people uh, shouldn't necessarily, and this is you know, more reading on, put another way, People shouldn't necessarily interpret such experiences as an expression of a hidden death wish, the researchers uh, wrote in the 2020 study. So, now that we have uh, broken off into the understanding of the call of the void, what I want us to do is I want us to look at another aspect of this call. And it is in, let's see. We're going to go uh, to some other notes of mine. And this is the understanding of the shadow. Now, I could easily lay out what the shadow is and all of that, but we're going to go to Wikipedia and we're going to let Wikipedia break it down because there's, there's aspects of this. And so we're going to talk about three different aspects of the shadow. The encountering of the shadow, the merging with the shadow, and assimilation of the shadow. These are three aspects. But first, we're going to get into what the shadow is. And we are in uh, Wikipedia's shadow psychology. In ontological psychology, or, or analytical, in analytical psychology, the shadow, also known as ego uh, diastonic complex, 
uh, repressed ID shadow aspect or shadow archetype is an unconscious aspect of the pers- per- of the personality that does not correspond with the ego ideal, leading the ego to resist and project the shadow. Ego ideal. Let's go look at that for just a second. The ego ideal is the inner image of oneself as one wants to become. Alternatively, the uh, Freudian notion of a perfect or ideal self housed in the superego, consisting of individuals' conscious and unconscious images of what he would like to be, patterned after certain people whom he regards as ideal. So when I tell people that you're kind of like a combination or a culmination of of all of your favorite content, favorite people, favorite influences, uh, all of that stuff. You you really kind of sort of are. You know, uh, as we start out from children, we adopt uh, personalities and, and archetypes. We find the ones that are the most appealing to us at the time, and we act those out. Uh, some people can go about this for so long that these things become ingrained into their actual personality to the point to where it's them now. So let's go. Let's see. Now we're going to continue reading on the shadow uh, psychology. So the ego ideal. Leading the ego to resist and project the shadow. So... It's an unconscious aspect of the personality. And this unconscious aspect, it doesn't, it doesn't like associate itself with your ideal self, with the person that you want to be. This is a, a part of you that you ain't really got the reins on yet. Or at least not until you've acknowledged that it's even there. So this is the part that lives inside your, your, your unconscious mind. Uh, I would say it's it's the area of you that knows you better than you know yourself. And uh, it's associated with different stuff. So let's see, let's see. In short, the shadow itself... Uh, in short, the shadow is the self's emotional blind spot projected as archetypes or metaphorical sense image complexes uh, personified within the collective unconscious, e.g., the trickster. So, I mean, uh, you kind of have a trickster aspect to you. Everyone does. A deceptive side, what lies beneath the skin, uh, the devil you don't know, which lives within. You know, the, the, the devil you know and the devil you don't. Well, the devil you don't know is you. It lives inside of you, underneath your skin, in your unconscious mind. So, let's go into encountering the shadow. Just another step, we'll break off into that. Let's see, uh, shadow work. This is a, shadow work is a, is a practice among uh, Jungian philosophers and, and, and psychologists and psychotherapists, where uh, it's, the reason why they call it shadow work is because what you're doing is you're digging around in your unconscious trying to find the real you shadow work is as i'm reading shadow work is practiced through active imagination with daydreaming and meditation the experience is then meditated 
by uh, dialectical uh, interpretation through narrative and art. You know, uh, like poetry, uh, pottery, drawing, dancing, singing, etc. Analysis or an, um, analysts perform dream work on analysts using uh, amplification to rise the unconscious to conscious awareness. The eventual encounter with the shadow plays a central part in the process of individuation, meaning you know the, the, the creation of the individual. In fact, the definition of individuation is the principle of individu- individuation or principum individuationis, <laughs> which is like I guess like Latin, describes the manner in which a thing is identified as dist- distinguished from other things. Young, as I'm continuing reading, Young considered that the course of individuation exhibits a certain formal regularity. Its diagnosis and milestones are various archetypal archetypal, uh, uh, symbols, quote, marking its stages and and of these, the first stage leads to the experience of the shadow, end quote. So, if the breakdown of the persona constitutes the typical Jungian moment both in therapy and in development, it is this that opens the road to the shadow uh, within, coming about uh, when beneath the surface of a person is suffering from a dead boredom that makes everything seem meaningless and empty, as if the initial encounter with the self casts a dark shadow ahead of time. Young considered as a uh, a perennial danger in life that the more consciousness gains in clarity, the more monarchic becomes its content. The king constantly needs needs the renewal that begins with a descent into its own darkness. So, let me break all that down. And also, let me go back to uh, to Carl Jung Carl Jung himself so Carl Jung, German he was born in uh, born July 26, 1975 uh, to uh, June 6, 1961 was a Swiss uh, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded analytical psychology Young's work has been influential in the fields of uh, psychiatry, um, anthropology, archaeology, uh, no, uh, yeah, archaeology, literature, philosophy, and uh, psychology and religious studies. Young worked as a research scientist at the, I can't even pronounce that, Burgolsley? Burgolsley? I don't know. Psychiatric hospital under Eugene Blair. Always every time I see the word Eugene, I always laugh. Eugene Bluler, Bluler, crazy names. During this time, uh, he came to the attention of Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis. I can care too much about about Freud. Even though Freud's got some good stuff, but I, I ain't really, I ain't, I ain't really a Freud guy. So, but I mean, Freudian thought will be in this. So. Let's 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 kind of pull back for a second. So the the acknowledgement of the shadow 
is basically you acknowledging your deeper, darker urges. And this can come in, in, in different ways. But if we if we go into this, we're gonna read right here. Contrary to contrary to a Freudian definition of shadow, see, you know, Freud he had it but he didn't have it. Uh, however, the Jungian shadow can include everything outside the light of consciousness and may be positive or negative. So there's a positive negative aspect to the shadow. It's neither good nor bad. It's just what lies beneath. It's it's pure you. It's like it's you straight from the tap. No embellishments. No Nickelodeon, you know, content. You know, no Mr. Rogers running in your head. It is 100% you. You know, it calls you on your bullshit. It's 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 there, there, there all the time. It is the difference between the watcher, as I've said in, in previous podcasts. It's the difference between the watcher and what is watched. And the uh, the unconscious mind, the shadow, is 100% the watcher. It watches every damn thing you do. It can't help but, you know, it, it logs all that stuff away. You can't, you cannot escape the shadow because it, it is it is with you. It's where all of your depression comes from. It's where all of your anxieties come from. It's where all of your malcontent, disrespect, all of that shit comes from there. Because it's it's the real you. It's you know it's the you that has an opinion on something right out the gate. Uh, it, it, it it's just it's just a different part. And it's I mean it's not necessarily good or bad, but when it has rough shot, things can get hairy. So we get into that. There are however positive aspects. Continue reading. They may also remain hidden in one's shadow, especially in people with low self-esteem, anxieties, and false beliefs. Everyone carries a shadow, young wrote, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. It may be in part, uh, yes, end quote. It may be in part one's link to more primitive animal instincts, which are superseded during early childhood by the conscious mind. Young stated that the shadow to be the unknown dark side. Of the personality, according to Young, the shadow in being instinctive and irrational is prone to psychological projection in which a perceived personal inferiority is recognized as a perceived moral deficiency in someone else. Young writes that if these projections remain hidden, the projection-making factor, the shadow archetype, then has a free hand and can realize its objects, if it has one or bring about some other situation characteristic of its power. These projections insulate and delude individuals by acting as a constantly thickening veil of illusion between the ego and the real world. So, yeah, the, 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 the shadow unchecked or the unconscious mind unchecked can, it can do some mad damage. It blurs the lines on stuff, blurs the lines of right and wrong, blurs the lines of reason. Uh, burns lines lines of uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, extreme ownership, uh, you know, corrective action. It definitely plays plays a role in in, uh, in stopping you from implementing corrective actions. It, it, once it gets in there, you know, it it numbs you to things, to all sorts of things. And it, it, it's a, it, as it lays out, it's like a, like a, like a, all-consuming cloud. 
So let's go down to uh, the next aspect of this. So we, we've gotten out of the, you know, the, the overview of Jung and what he thought about the shadow and the meditation, and, and we're still in the encountering of the shadow. So, let's go down. <clears throat> and finishing up on the encountering of the shadow aspect, we're going to go to this part right here. Jung considered as a perennial danger. Okay, Jung considered as a perennial danger in life that the more conscious consciousness gains in clarity, the more monarchic becomes its, con its content. The king constantly needs the renewal that begins with a descent into his own darkness, his shadow, which the desolation of the persona sets in motion. Carl Jung speaking. The shadow personifies everything that the subject refuses to acknowledge about himself and represents a, a tight passage, a narrow door whose painful constriction no one is spared who goes down to the depth, uh, to, goes down to the deep well. Let's see, this is also from his passages. Uh, let's see. If and when an individual makes an attempt to see his shadow, he becomes aware of and often ashamed of those qualities and impulses he denies in himself but can plainly see in others such as things such things as uh, egotism mental laziness and sloppiness unreal fantasies schemes and plots uh, carelessness and cowardice and inordinate love of money and possessions so integration of the shadow or the acknowledgement of the shadow is really acknowledging that the only reason why you are able to see these things in other people is because you have them inside yourself. In fact, the very moment that you notice these things in someone else, you're actually noticing them inside of you too. It's interesting. It's quite, it's, 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 it's beautiful how the mind works. It really, really is. So let's go. The, the desolation of the persona and the launch of the individuation process or individuation process also brings with it the danger of falling victim to the shadow. So meaning the minute that you peer into the shadow, the shadow peers back into you. The danger of falling victim to the shadow, the black shadow which everybody carries with them, the inferior and therefore hidden aspect of the personality results in a merge with the shadow. So, at the point that you begin to acknowledge that you are capable, I mean, this is really like the same thing as, as, as within the, the Christian tradition when you, when you, um, when you repent. It's the same, same idea, same concept. When, uh, when, uh, when someone repents and, uh, and, and turns their life over to Christ, you're doing the exact same thing. You are acknowledging that you are a murderer. You are acknowledging that you are capable of rape and torture and all kinds of horrible atrocities. And that the reason why Jesus died is because of the very fact that you are capable of such things and that you could have easily been the person to put him on the cross. You have to be able to see it that way in order to be able to walk through that door, that narrow door. So 
there's lots of narrow doors around here. There's a narrow black one and there's a narrow white one. You you can think that there that there is a wide uh, a, a wider door, but to be completely honest, your inner uh, shadow will not allow that. It, it keeps everything on point. You know, you you can you can tell a lie to yourself. You can even tell a lie to other people. But the inner shadow, your inner demon, the inner darkness inside of you, is gonna be like nah, and it's gonna hold you hostage to that shit, like 100% of the time. So. Let, let's let's get into one more aspect of this, and then uh, we'll switch over. We'll switch gears for a second because it, it slightly gets better, but not right here. Merging with the shadow, according to Jung, the shadow sometimes overwhelms a person's actions. For example, when the conscious mind is shot, confused, or paralyzed by indecision. A man who is possessed by his shadow is always standing in his own light and falling into his own traps, living below his own level. Quote. Hence, in terms of the story of Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it must be Jekyll, the conscious personality, who integrates the shadow and not vice versa. Okay? Uh, the, the example of... of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a very, very good example, especially considering the fact that Mr. Hyde was a persona that came out of him. You know, he was not always Mr. Hyde. He was Dr. Jekyll the majority of the time. He was still performing his daily duties. There was just an aspect of him that was darker and sinister, and it wanted out, and it would come out and do what it did. And Mr. Jekyll... Dr. Jekyll, he didn't really have any control over it. So, let's see. Otherwise, continue reading. Otherwise, the conscious becomes the slave of the autonomous shadow. So, I'm going to stop here for just one second. Because this is actually something that's going on in society right now. And you see it often. Something called shadow possession. They don't talk about it in here. But people who do the shadow work uh, talks... You know, Jordan Pearson talks about it. Uh, there's a famous chick that I follow that uh, talks about it as well, and I can't remember her name right now. But uh, uh, I love her work. Um, I'll add it in the description whenever I, I find it, because uh, I, I always she I, I, I'll follow her work too, because she kind of hit me to this years ago. But uh, shadow possession is is something that very few people understand or talk about. Now. In the, in the Christian church system, we just call it sin, but or living in sin. But shadow possession, I think, is a much more accurate representation of what's going on. Because see, the thing about shadow possession is, is that you have allowed your darker urges, your unconscious mind to ride roughshod over you. And in that, all manner of wicked stuff feels good. I mean, it... You know, it, 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 uh, it, it's almost a sense of liberation in that. And, it, and this will speak to that when it talks about the merging of the shadow. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a liberation aspect to it. It's freeing, in a, in a sense. Because you're, you're wading in a black cloud of indifference. Because the shadow has, has called you out on your bullshit. It's lowered you down to the lower state. So now... You're sitting there with the shadow, and the shadow's like, yeah, you're no good. 
you you were never really any good to begin with because you had all of these thoughts rolling around in the back of your head that you didn't want to acknowledge but I kept on to them I held them on I held on to them for you see you, you tell people that you want to be friends and you want this and you want that but this is how you really are with people see the the unconscious mind will tell you these things it will it will bring these things to your to your uh, to your attention and I would say if you think I'm lying you can sit anywhere you want doesn't matter where you are and ask yourself out loud what am I doing wrong and I guarantee you you'll have a million thoughts pop into your head in fact from that point on you won't be able to stop it because it'll be an all-consuming thing and that's literally where it starts it, it, it starts right there with just Acknowledging that there is a problem going on inside your brain. There ain't no chemical imbalance. This is you messing with you. The real you messing with the fake you. Or the pretend you. Or the the avatar you. The, the hologram you. Whoever you want to word it. The fleshly you. The skin suit you. Whatever, you know, the, the you that you created for yourself. The real you is what lies beneath. It's the unconscious mind. And very few people give credence to the unconscious mind. God did not. In fact, God always spoke to the unconscious mind. In fact, God is the only one that I've ever seen in any sort of literature whatsoever that could actually speak to the unconscious mind. So let's 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 get deeper into this real quick. And uh, individuation inevitably rises raises uh, that very possibility. So you're talking about otherwise, going back one, one passage before where it says otherwise the conscious becomes slave to the autonomous shadow. Okay, so we're talking about what happens when the shadow rides roughshod over everything. So individuation, excuse me, inevitably raises that very possibility. As the process continues and the libido levels the the bright upper world let me read that again as the process continues and the libido leaves the bright upper world sinks back into its own depths below in the shadows of the unconscious so too what comes to the forefront is what was hidden under the mask of conventional adaptation the shadow so Basically, when the libido is brought down, when the ego is brought down, when, when uh, the, the unconscious mind has beaten the conscious mind into submission and basically calls you out on all your bullshit because you, you're, you're introspecting now, you're, you're looking inward now, because you, you have to to even see the shadow. So you're, you're peering into the void when you do this. You're peering into the shadow. And so when you peer into it, it peers back into you. And of course, it basically tells you that you are no good. You see this representation played out in video games like Shadow Link in, in the Ocarina of Time. Or, um, like, you know, there, there's, there's so many. There's, there's shows that have, have uh, depicted this. There are, are, are movies all kinds of stuff depicting the shadow self and you contending contending with it and it being able to mirror every move that you make and is you know the hardest boss to fight usually in a in a game is is mirror you because it does literally everything you do 
And so when the, the shadow is able to bring you down to its level, so does everything that comes out of that. And so you see this, you see this in, in, in girls with daddy issues. Uh, or, uh, which is, I mean, I, for me, that is probably the biggest example uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. Because you see this issue with, with a lack of understanding of men. And your role to play with men and how to judge correctly on what a good man is. And what ends up happening a lot of the time is that the girl makes a bad decision and the relationship ends horribly or horrible things happen like abuse or, or uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, you know, all sorts. And no real I don't let me see I word this correctly what you normally see is first looking outward to try to find validation on what just happened so if she ended the relationship of her own accord you know she usually looks for others who see the exact same thing she saw in the ending of the relationship a lot of times people do not know what actually was going on in that said relationship, but it doesn't matter to that person because they do not want to look inward. Most people will refuse to look inward. Now the thing that what I want to lay out is in real time, while that person is looking for outside validation, the unconscious mind, the shadow is torturing the fuck out of them inside their head laying out every single way in which that they fuck this up. And instead of in acknowledging that in, uh, in that of itself, the, the shadow, what it has done is it has imprisoned that person's mind. And so now from that point forward, this person is either gonna do one of two things. They're going to try to run from the shadow and go into a state of perfectionism where they are so dead set on walking clean and walking straight that they will go right back into what got them into this in the first place, which is ignoring the unconscious mind. And they will ignore all of their unconscious urges and actually try to separate themselves from it. So, you know, like, like that's not me. You know, you see this in the, in the fake Christian. They do this a lot where they, they focus so much on, on outward appearance and looking clean and looking. You even see this with people who are shadow possessed. They focus a lot on making themselves look clean on the outward while they're doing just ridiculously nasty, shady shit on the flip side. And you, you, you see this in, in, you see this whenever you can uh, acknowledge or see with your own shadow understanding. Uh, uh, whenever you see someone who's being disingenuous and you know it right off, you know, that's your shadow, you know, uh, uh, clashing against theirs, basically. And so people will ignore their unconscious mind. You can do it for positive reasons or you can do it for negative reasons, you know, or you can let it run roughshod over you. All instances that plays out are bad in the long run because at the end of the day, the shadow, the unconscious mind is still running the show. It's still manipulating you. It's still controlling whether you turn left or turn right. In many cases, you know, and all roads end up, and all roads will lead back to it. You know, uh, whether, you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Because at the very, very depth of the shadow is truth. Unadulterated, 
unblemished. You know, there's there's there, there's no there's no embellishments. There's there, there's no you know pretty tassels. There's there's none of that. It's just the truth. Cold hard math. And that's what the shadow is. It's cold hard math. But it has a depth to it. It has it has a darkness aspect to it, because uh, it's like uh, when I tell people about uh, about Aleister Crowley and the opposing doctrine to uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. The opposing doctrine is the Aleister Crowley doctrine, which is doest thou wilt. Well, the shadow is the main mofo in your corner that will 100% want and allow you to do whatever the fuck you want to do. So this is how you get the pedophiles. This is how you get the rapists. This is how you get the, uh, the girl that can't keep clothes on her body to save her life. And always has to be sexual everywhere that she goes and in every conversation that she has. This is that. It is just the shadow manifesting itself and to do as thou will. Because the shadow wants you to be real, unadulteratedly real. But it will also push that real to its furthest extent. So, you know, if, if you have, you know, uh, issues w with sex and sexual impropriety, under shadow possession, that could go as far as, you know, uh, uh, cheating and having uh, the inability to maintain a stable relationship because your eyes are always elsewhere to extreme lengths like having zero problem, having men defecate on you and then actually finding the ability to enjoy it. So the, 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 <laughs> yeah, like these things, these things have far reaching ramifications and if people do not acknowledge them or pay attention to them these are the kinds of things that can pop out of the abyss out of the void so let's see let's go into another aspect let's, let's continue reading so let's see so too what comes to the forefront is what was hidden under the mask of conventional adaptation, the shadow, with the result that ego and shadow are no longer divided, but are brought together in an uh, admittedly precarious unity. Okay, so I mean, and, and the unity is precarious because, see, the ego is going to think that it is in charge. It's like, it's like the king and the jester. Okay, that's pretty much what this, what, what's playing out inside your heads. The king or queen and the jester. The jester is the unconscious mind. It's the one telling jokes. It's the one, you know, uh, it's the one that smirks and grins at things that it's not supposed to. It's there, and uh, the the trickster is. The only, if, if you look at the, the, the old representations of the king, the trickster was the only one allowed to call the king on his bullshit. He was the only one that could, that could say inappropriate jokes in the, mis, in the middle of his addresses. He was the one that was allowed to make the king laugh. Uh, the jester was nearly untouchable because the jester also had really a pulse on on society 
you know, and what was expected of, uh, of, of people and, and, and all that. <clears throat> That's the role that the shadow plays. Is it, is it, it's, it's, uh, it's your governing mechanism. It's what helps you to become self-governing. It is the, the, the mechanism that, that provokes uh, self-governance. And that, that mechanism, if you ignore it, you will f- inadvertently merge with it. And what will happen is you will, you will have <laughs> what is called the, the inmates running the asylum kind of situation going on inside your head to where things that would compromise your self-worth things that would be akin to suicide on a metaphysical or psychological level you will jump headlong into because the shadow has convinced you that these things are freeing that these things are okay that these things are part of the course of being who you are and that you could not avoid these things and that these things are just you and so like you see this in people who will say you know like like i always always believed that i was i always believed that i was a girl i always believed that i was this i always thought that i was this i was like all right you always thought well, that was your first problem is that you were thinking way too damn much because the thing is, thinking without training wheels, thinking without really contextualizing why you're thinking what you're thinking, without paying attention to the thoughts that are rolling around in your head and where they are sourced from, is a bad recipe for disaster. It really is. Because you see this in, in people who are, are now like all over TikTok talking about their... They, they messed up when they transitioned. Lots of lots of uh, transition retractions on uh, on Twitter and the internet right now. Of people who who, who followed the cool who who, who drank the Kool Aid, the socialist Kool Aid, you know, and believed that they always were a girl, and then got their transitions and did their stuff. and And they even said, you know, there's there's a there's a documentary on Fox Nation about it right now, where these people themselves uh, that uh, transitioned in, into being transgenders. And, and changing their sex, they have even said that the entire process, considering the fact that most of them went through it alone, they didn't have anybody in their corner a lot of the times telling them, "Hey, well, you know, like the, the like no dissenting voices." In many of the cases, these people had no dissenting voices whatsoever. Probably in their subconscious, if they were honest, but you know, they they had no no dissenting voices. And so the entire time that they were going through this process of transitioning, there was a sense of freedom and rightness to it the whole way through. But it wasn't until the smoke settled and the accolades fell off and people stopped going, oh my God, what are you doing? You're so brave. When they were sitting alone in their rooms, that the feelings that they had, the suicidal thoughts, the bad emotions, the, the stuff that they thought would go away once they went down this path, would all come bubbling back up to the surface. I wonder why. I wonder why. Okay, so 
let's continue. The effect of such confrontation, and we were at, we were still in the merging with the shadow aspect. So let's see, it goes down. We talked about that precarious unity between uh, the ego and the shadow, the higher self and the shadow. Okay. So let's go. Uh, the effect of such confrontation with the shadow produces a, at first, a dead balance, a standstill. Sounds. This is probably going to sound very familiar for some of you. Uh, a dead balance, a standstill that hampers moral decisions and makes convictions ineffective. Uh, and then it puts some other words. Uh, negrito. Uh, tenebrositas chaos or melancholia which is basically different aspects of the effects so you know a melancholy i'm accused of this all the damn time because this is actually my base state is that my base state is melancholy so uh and that you know that has to do with you know me being uh, molested as a kid and other shit that happened to me as a youth you know abuse from my first stepdad that was kind of that melancholy was kind of beaten into me but I digress. Let's get back to it. Consequently, as Jung knew from personal experience, quote, in this time of descent, meaning falling into the void or into the shadow, or descending into the, sh to the void with the shadow, I would say, one, three, seven years, more or less, genuine courage and strength are required. Like, like, he, I mean, he's not joking. I, I would I would say the only reason why I am not a royal piece of shit that you would more than likely should kill on sight, the only reason why I'm not that is because of a lot of genuine courage and strength that was built into me through loving, caring, God-fearing parents and, and people that just kind of popped into my life that kept me straight. But, again... Let's see. Do, 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 do. And, he, and he continues to say, uh, with no certainty of, emer of emergence. Let's see. I'm going to read that again. Consequently, as Young knew from personal experience, in this time of descent, one, three, seven years more or less, genuine courage and strength are required, with no certainty of emergence. Nevertheless, Young remained of the opinion that while no one should deny the danger of the descent. Every descent is followed by an ascent, or is followed by an ascent. An assimilation of, rather than possession by, the shadow becomes a possibility. Now, assimilation of the shadow is a, is a whew, that's probably my favorite part. The assimilation of the shadow is, is something that to be completely honest with you, every person who has ever encouraged you is is is, is, is that's what they're doing. They're trying to to teach you to uh, to to assimilate or to integrate your shadow. This is from the mouth of every every uh, preacher that tells you to stand up to your boss, to every motivational speaker that tells you to uh, to grab your life by the balls. Uh, Every person that, that, you know, whenever a situation goes awry and it is 100% not your fault and there is a guilty party and someone tells you that you, hey, you need to go, you need to go talk to them. That, that is the assimilation of the shadow. 
But I'm not going to let you hear it from me. We're going we're gonna to see what Wikipedia says about it. So, let's see. Uh, it starts with another freaking long word that's hard to pronounce. Enatiodromia. Based on the concept of midlife crisis. This is kind of like an aspect of a midlife crisis. Is or it's associated with. I wouldn't say that it's an aspect of. I would say it's associated with. In fact, people would mistakenly consider uh, uh, assimilation of the shadow as a midlife crisis. It's really not. Is a redirected psychic energy. It's basically just redirected. Basically, what you're doing is you're redirecting your focus. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say that it's akin to you and your shadow spirit or shadow self uh, teaming up. So now the, the, there is a unity inside of you between your darker self and your lighter self and to where you guys work together to achieve ends. <clears throat> and this will lay out what that means. Shadow integration leads to a numinous experience. Numinous uh, is like a it's like a euphoric or um, uh, arousing spiritual or religious emotion, mysterious or awe-inspiring is the term for it. But <clears throat> let's get back to it. So the shadow integration leads to a numinous experience, anchoring to the numinism effect without reality testing can lead to ego inflation. So. This is what happens when you get like like super engrossed in the integration of the shadow, because because when you assimilate, there's there's a, a strong you know proclivity to to feel as though you are spiritually and like like this is where you start like kind of thinking you're God basically is 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 kind of the downside to it is that you you start to step into to God knowledge and God like understanding of truth and, and stuff like that to where you can you can look at lots of things in a meta kind of way in a big picture forest for the trees kind of way <clears throat> and uh, and when you do that for long periods of time without reality checking yourself without making sure that the things that you are doing are lining up morally and consistently and harmoniously with reality, you can step into areas of ego inflation where you can start thinking that your bullshit don't stink because you're so damn honest about every damn thing. And, oof, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't even need to go into it. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff. You know that that's the reason why um, men find prostitutes so so attractive. I mean, this is literally the reason why. Is because she owns what she's doing and why she's doing it. There's something about that level of honesty that's extremely attractive. No embellishments, no no trickery. It's just what you see is what you get. This is, a, this is a rare quality in people. Most people are not 100% real, as much as they would love to think that they are. And the shadow is, is the only person who you cannot lie to. You cannot lie to your unconscious mind. Because your unconscious mind is not, subject, is, is not subjected to you. At least not yet. And until you do the work 
of subjecting your subconscious mind and your conscious mind to you. Meaning that you think of what you want to think of when you want to think it. Until you are able to do this, you do not have control of your mind. Not even a little bit. And to say that you know what the hell you're talking about on anything, I mean, you're guessing at best. And the, 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 root, the root understanding of these things that you're guessing at, the only reason why you know them is because you kind of maybe skimmed over them or something like that. Unless you actually applied consistent study to these things, you do not know them as well as you think that you do. But let's continue. And, and, and I would even go further to say your unconscious mind knows for a fact that you don't and will use that against you. And that's usually what motivates people to, to be that kind of person where they always have to one-up everybody. It's like that's where that comes from. So let's go. We begin to travel up through the healing spirals straight up. This is, this is the ascension aspect of, of uh, shadow integration. Here, the struggle is to retain awareness of the shadow. It's the hardest part. Because here you're reading. I'm going to read that part again. Here, the struggle is to retain awareness of the shadow, but not identification with it. See, that's, that's, the, that's the rub right there. Is that you have to be aware of it, but not identify with it. See, some people will get confused into thinking because see the, the unconscious mind loves to masquerade as the ego it has to it's it's it, because at the end of the day it's you it's just a, a realer version of you so it it will always try to portray itself as the ultimate you as the best version of you though it's not because it it, it has no it has no training reels it has no parameters it has no limits it has little lines that it won't cross. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It will, it will rationalize the fuck out of any line that you put in front of it to cross it. So, let's get back to it. It says, uh, non-identification demands considerable moral effort, which prevents a descent into that darkness. I'll read that again. Non-identification demands considerable moral effort, which prevents a descent into that darkness. And though the conscious mind is liable to be submerged at any moment in the unconscious, understanding acts like a lifesaver. Understanding understanding acts like a lifesaver. All right, hold on, hold on. Let me read that part again because I messed it up. And though the conscious mind is liable to be submerged at any moment in the unconscious, understanding acts like a lifesaver. Understanding. Understanding, Ooh, boy, that is my favorite word right now. Understanding is, it's so good. It's so good. Understanding is something that is very, very lacking in our society right now. There, there, is, there is no love for nuance uh, or, or, or context or understanding of things in a, in a sense that we we struggle societally we struggle with understanding the importance of finding context and why 
someone does what they do, the motivations, even in ourselves, we we avoid this at all costs, you know, uh, at our own peril, by the way. But if this this shit happens so often and so frequently in the average person's life that it is a huge sign of intelligence. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's instantly attractive when you come across person, when you come across a person that has a a base level of understanding to them. They they want to understand you. They want to understand things. They they don't just just hop on shit. There's something attractive about people like that. And that's because these people have a, a have a, a state of awareness that they retain in them that is a governor. It it helps them to to not only pick up on social cues like when someone doesn't want to be talked to right now or or when someone is actually in a bad mood and they're lying about it. You know, like people who have this understanding and awareness to the shadow and other people's shadows and the aspect of the shadow, uh, uh, whether they acknowledge it as that or not, there's people who are empathetic. They see these things like clear as day, and these people are extremely attractive in the regard that they they can empathize with the unconscious mind, with the shadow, and we'll get to that. So, none of identification demands considerable moral effort. I mean, like, that'll preach. I mean, like, we're going to get into that biblically, uh, where, where it stands. You know, the, the reaching biblical understanding of that. But boy, I mean, to to not identify with your darker self clearly takes considerable moral effort. Because if you look at society and the way that it is right now, everybody is in free fall state. And free balling and, and free everything Free the nipple, free this, free that And uh, what we're seeing Is A deterioration a, a deterioration of society It's falling apart at the seams You know, people don't even know how to To react To these levels of freedom Because it's just like, it's just wanton nonsense Every which way you turn And we see this in Uh we see this in our kids and in them uh, dealing with identity issues. We see this in, hold on one second. We see this in, shoot. We just see this in the left in general with their inability to acknowledge the bad in their ideas. Like to them, their ideas are not bad. To them, you know, hey, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with teaching you know, six and seven year olds about sex. There's nothing wrong with that. And about transgenders and about, you know, you know, non-binaries and all these complex themes and ideas that they shouldn't be learning about right now. And this is the reason why people are pulling their kids out of schools left and right because on a subconscious level, you know this shit's wrong. I mean, we just do. But I mean, people who are, who have integrated with their shadow, who, who to them, right and wrong, and I see people say this, and I, and I see this a lot of, of different, you know, uh, 
religious talks where people will, will have the nerve to say, you know, there is no good and evil. There is no black and white. Like, you've convinced yourself so. There's, 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 there's no empirical evidence on that, bro. Uh, you have convinced yourself such. Through the integration of the shadow, you, you reached a godlike level of understanding. That's all that it was. To where you, you, you were able to see behind the curtain of the, all this shit for a minute. And you got in your head that, wow, the fact that I'm thinking at a higher you know, frequency, everyone, you know, I'm, my vibration is higher than everyone's around me. Maybe I'm better than everyone around me, and and maybe there is no good and evil. You know, it's, it, you're doing the same thing that Lucifer did. You're doing the same thing that every madman, every, you know, uh, Hitler, every Stalin, every, you know, Mongolian monster that ever was. You're doing the same thing they did. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. There's, there, there's nothing special or new about that line of thinking. And atheists, they, they, they love this frame of thinking that, that if you left a baby to just, you know, to its own devices, that eventually it would just start acting morally. It's bullshit. They know it's bullshit. They just don't want to admit that it's bullshit because they're so dead set. They are so obtuse. So frightened of of. Of, of the moral ramifications of what they are doing and what they actually believe, that, they've, that they have developed an entire personality around avoiding it, of avoiding God. To them, God is dead, and he should stay dead, because God represents an ideal. And, and we know what, the, what the, uh, the unconscious mind likes to do with the ideal. It likes to masquerade as the ideal. It's like what, uh, what, what, uh, what is it called? When, uh, I was listening to a lecture by Alan Watts and he was talking about this very idea. And he says, when the thieves, when the thieves come into the house, you know, like two-story house, they break in. You know, then the cops come in and try to stop them. You know, they, they run upstairs. They go up a level. And that's kind of what the thief does, what the trickster does, the, the, the shadow, is that the minute that it's unmasked, the minute that you catch it, like, you know, you have that wayward thought. Good, perfect example, because I, I, I've caught myself doing this, and I love it when I acknowledge stuff like this. When I look at, at someone, and I immediately dislike them for arbitrary reasons. And I catch myself saying something snide in, in the back of my mind. And I acknowledge it. And the minute that I acknowledge that thought, right after, and I'm telling you, do this with yourself and see how many, many times you, you notice how much you do this shit. The minute that I acknowledge that I said something fucked up about this person that I don't even know, my mind starts coming up with all the information that's presented in front of me was what I see of them and what I know about myself and what I can perceive from them. All these justifications for why I thought what I thought. People do it all the time. It's just, it's just something that happens in the unconscious minds. It happens inside your head, so you don't have to speak on it. You don't have to be honest about it. You don't even have to tell people that it's going on. But it happens. It happens to me. It happens to everyone. 
this is where that idea, you know, of um, of implicit bias, the, the, these bastards that they, they came up with this shit came from, is because what they're doing is they're projecting their own shadows onto everybody else. Is that you know I have I have these racist thoughts in my head, so everybody else has to have these racist thoughts inside their head. Not necessarily, bro. That's probably just you. I mean, there's sure there's some other people like you that have those thoughts, but to be completely honest, you're projecting you. You're the one having those thoughts. That's the reason why you assume everyone else has those thoughts. That's your shadow fucking with you. And now you think that you're saying it in some official sense. You know, and in some official sense is 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 you just you know being you. And it's like no. No, 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 no. What you're doing is you're projecting. That's that's what projecting is. But see, people don't ever actually lay out what you're projecting. You're projecting your shadow. You're projecting your unconscious mind onto me. So when you just assume that I'm a liar, you're projecting. And this is like with you not even knowing me. If you can assume that I'm a liar, it's because you yourself are a fucking liar. And I'm a liar all the damn time. And you know it. But it's so much easier to point out someone else being a liar because you don't want to acknowledge all the lies that you have and the lies that you tell. But you do, and you know that you do them. But you don't have to do that because I can't see inside your mind. And you know that, and that's kind of the ace in the sleeve that you have over me. But see, the thing is, when you understand assimilation of the shadow, there's all kinds of tools and stuff that you can gain from it. We'll get into that. So, let's get back into this, in the reading. It integrates the unconscious. This, uh, let's see, hold on, on. I'll read this one part, one again. The conscious mind is liable to be submerged at any moment in the unconscious. Understanding acts like a lifesaver. It integrates the unconscious. So understanding helps you to integrate the unconscious mind, the shadow. This reincorporates the shadow into the personality producing a stronger, wider consciousness than before. Assimilation of the shadow gives a man by uh, uh, assimilation of the shadow gives a man body so to speak. Thereby providing a launch pad for further individuation. The integration of the shadow or the realization of the personal unconscious marks the first stage in the analytics process. Without without it, a recognition of anima and animus is impossible. Now, I have to, to, to kind of lay out what anima and animus is because it's a, the anima and animus are, are described in Carl Jung's School of Analytical Psychology as part of his theory of the collective unconscious. Jung described the animus as the unconscious masculine side of a woman, the animus. And the anima is the unconscious feminine side of a man, each transcending the personal psyche. Now, let's go back into this. Now we know what the anima and animus is. These are just the male and feminine aspects of the woman and the male. So, without it, without this understanding, without the 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 understanding needed to understand the difference between right and wrong, basically. You will not be able to realize the markers of, you know, uh, 
male characteristics in the feminine and you won't be able to notice the female aspects in the in the in the male now what does that sound like to you i mean i i tell you what i i have never seen women act more manly than i have in this generation that we're in right now and adversely i have not seen men act more feminine than i have ever until recently now the interesting thing about that though is that what are these groups doing the people that you see doing this have a, I don't know, what would you call it? A doest thou wilt kind of nature to them. Whenever you see a guy that acts extremely feminine for a guy, ask him what he believes to be true. I, and, and, and it might floor you when you realize that what this is and what I'm talking about. The thing about shadow assimilation is that it, it can happen for the best of reasons and it can happen for the worst of reasons you know it's not a matter of intelligence it's more a matter of belief more a matter of understanding and and and, and seeing and peering inside your head and you know like i said the difference between the washer and what is washed this isn't like an intelligence thing or like how wise and how smart you have to be to reach this point it's really just a matter of introspection and understanding that's it <laughs> there ain't no there ain't no maturity level in this shit. It's just are you empathetic? Do you have understanding? Do you do you have introspective moments? Do you meditate? Do you think, you know, aloud? Do you do you talk to yourself? Do you understand yourself? Do you know yourself? Know thyself. That that, that that's where all this stuff stems from. Is the understanding of yourself. And when you understand yourself, you're gonna understand these things. But if you don't understand that there is a little scoundrel inside your head that really just wants to be free to do whatever the hell it wants to. Like in a, a perfect example, oh, an anime example, for those of you, my anime friends who like anime, a perfect example is the, uh, the, uh, the, what is it called? The, the, the thing in the flask and, uh, what is it called? The, 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 the what is it called? The uh, homunculus, like you know, the, the idea in a Fullmetal Alchemist. And Fullmetal Alchemist, in the when it's talking about, how, you know, when it gets to the story of of, of the boy's dad, and uh, he, you know, they, he helps create that little black thing in the flask. It's that, and, you know, it, it was constantly questioning reality, constantly questioning why it had to be in the flask, why it couldn't be free, why it couldn't do that, and at the same time was manipulating fucking everyone around it. That's what the shadow does. Is it? Is it? It wants to be free. It wants that walking around money. Like like Gator, don't take no shit. You know that's what it wants. It wants to get out. It wants to get around. It wants to, to do what it wants to do to the fullest extent of what that is. And there are lots of you know. This is what advertising does. Is the advertising industry is is programmed to speak to that part of you that wants and desires and needs. And wants to possess and take charge of and have and hold. That's where that, that, that shit comes from. And they pump that stuff into the TV sets and the airways and the, all that stuff. And into your kids, you know, cell phones and iPads and whatever. And provokes these things. And what manifests out, if unchecked, with, you know, moral affirmation and understanding, 
can have crazy lengths to who knows you're chopping off your breasts and your dick because you think that's what you're supposed to do it's happening right now it's not like i'm being hyperbolic it's just that you've been programmed to think that these people are doing this shit because they believe that that's the proper way that they should behave and I'm here to tell you that the reason why they are doing such things is because they have a healthy unbalance and an unstable understanding going on in their head. Because their unconscious mind, the things that they refuse to acknowledge about themselves, has become so powerful that it overrides all of their reasoning and thinking processes. And now this person is pretty much down for whatever. And are easily malleable, too, from outside forces as well. And that's, like I said, we've been talking about that. This is talking about what's going on inside your head. You know, all of my past podcasts were about that. Like, this is talking about you against you. So, assimilation of the shadow gives a man body, so to speak, thereby providing a launch pad for future individuation. The integration of the shadow or the realization of the personal unconscious marks the first stage in the analytic process. Without it, a recognition of anima and animus is impossible. Conversely, to the degree in which the shadow, and this is partly a quote, is recognized, or conversely, to the degree in which the shadow is recognized and integrated, the problem of the anima, i.e. of relationship, is constellated and becomes the center of the individuation quest. That's why people like when they when they when they go into this process and they 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 blur the lines of this relationship between with men the female aspects of themselves and with women the male aspects of themselves when they blur the lines on this shit it becomes the center focus of an individual quest. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneeze. So, think about that. I just want you to just, just, just marinate on that part right there. I will read it again. Conversely, to the degree in which the shadow is recognized and integrated, the problem of anima, i.e. of relationship, is constellated, meaning the relationship between the feminine side of you, if you're a male, and the male side of, of you, if you're a woman. Meaning that when you blur the lines on this stuff, what it becomes the center of the individuation quest. Meaning that when you're trying to understand yourself, the blurring of these lines becomes the sole focus of your entire being. Is, is maxing out the far far reaches of this shit. This is how you have the LGBTQYX and whatever community so damn loud right now. Because, I mean, what else are they going to do? They're not, uh, they're not, they're not putting their energy towards anything else because nothing else seems as, as important as them trying to make, trying to integrate the feminine and male aspects of themselves into one body. Basically trying to undo what God did with Adam and Eve. The, that's basically what you're doing. It, you know, when you when you try to blur the lines on on what you're <laughs> what you're supposed to be, you know, in a in a male or female sense, 
It becomes your whole focus. That's all you care about. Let's read further. Carolyn Kaufman wrote that in spite of its function as a reservoir for human darkness, or perhaps because of this, you know, the shadow being the reservoir for human darkness, it's basically where all that shit sits. Or perhaps because of this, the shadow is the seat of creativity. Now think about that. The shadow itself is the seat of creativity. It's where all of these crazy ideas come from. I mean, there's a positive aspect to the shadow, but I mean, it only happens when it's under control. And so when you see people who are, who've integrated the shadow in a positive sense, these are guys who are fearless. They're monsters in a, in a, in a human sense. These guys, they, they step into their field of expertise and just dominate and create all these beautiful things out of it. These, you know, the, the Steve Jobs, the, I mean, good or bad, the, 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 the Bill Clintons, the, the Bill Gates, the, you know, the, 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 the Jordan Petersons, the wise, the men of renown, the smart guys, the, the, the power guys, the, the guys that have this integration thing down. They, they speak their being for their, you know, they can, you know, be brazen in, in some senses. You know, uh, undeterred, not not easily, uh, not easily deterred. Uh, guys that are willing to step into the darkness to see what's in there. Let's get back into it. Carolyn Kaufman wrote that in spite of this function as a reservoir for human darkness, or perhaps because of this, the shadow is the seed of creativity. So that for some, it may be that the dark side of his being, his sinister shadow, represents the true spirit of life as against the arid scholar. Right? So, uh, this, is, this is two different aspects of this. So, the arid scholar, who would, in many instances, ignore their inner shadow because they have devoted their, their entire being to exploring the wisdoms outside of themselves will come into clash with the man who has integrated his shadow and has mastered the integration. He has become, he has, he has become a union in which he can move forward in life with it. So this guy will, will come into clash with, with, with the scholarly man. And it says, nevertheless, Jungians, or Jungians, or people who follow, you know, Jung's philosophies, warn the acknowledgement of the shadow must be a continuous process throughout one's life. And even after the focus of individuation has moved on to the animus slash anima, the later stages of shadow integration will continue to take place. The grim process of washing one's dirty linen in private, of accepting one's shadow. So, lots of stuff, lots of reading, lots of breakdown, and that sneeze has got my nose running. And I'm going to continue. If you don't like listening to sniffles, I feel sorry for you because I sniffle a lot. I'm an allergy guy. So, hopefully the back, the music I have playing in the background will, will make it somewhat bearable. So. We went into the empirical data on this stuff. Oh, lots of lots of research has been done on it. 
and you know it's shadow possession and shadow uh, work and stuff like that is a focus of, of a lot of clinical psychologists right now. Notably, one of the greatest ones that I can think of is Jordan Peterson. But now we're going to get into the Bible way. And we're going to see, we're going to use a very, very, very old story to lay out exactly what I just laid out to you. And we're going to do it in kind of like a, a, a example, a biblical example. And it's the story of Cain and Abel. I'm going to break that down too. So we're in chapter 4 of Genesis. If you don't like religious stuff, you can go ahead and walk away now. I pretty much gave you the gist of it. But, I mean, if you want to get to the really, really good stuff, you're going to have to stay to the end. So, chapter 4. Adam and Eve, you know, they're, they're conceiving kids. And they conceive two. And it says in verse 1, it says, And Adam knew Eve, which means that they, they slept together, uh, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Now, there's a little T if you have a KJV or King James Version, a little T over the top of Cain, and it'll say to get. And if you read further, it says, And said, this is Eve speaking, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, the interesting thing about Cain's name is that his name has a double meaning. And so his name altogether in Hebrew can read as a sentence. See, his name... It, it means means you know uh, to buy or or to get or to purchase, but the the Hebrew word for man is actually in his name as well, which also translates to fire. So if you were to read it out, it would be like her saying, "I purchased a fire from God," which is pretty cool. <laughs> and then it goes to verse two, and it says, "And she again bare his brother Abel." Now, Abel. Interestingly enough, they do not give you a definition of his name, which is which is telling. It was something that you kind of had to go look up for yourself, because God God leaves markers and things. He leaves markers and things that are just him, and it's kind of like his way of letting you know that he's involved. And so, uh, you know, so a. Abel's name means a short breath, which is actually kind of foreboding, you know, telling what happens to him later on. But a lot of things related to God have to do with breathing. Even the name of which he told, you know, to, to Moses when he finally, you know, asked him what his name was. And, he, and, and we got that bastardized Yahweh, which is really not what it is. It's actually just a breath. Just, that's what it means. It's just the, the in, it reads as the inhaling and exhaling is, is what it comes out as. And so that's what Abel's name means is a short breath. So let's get back into it. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto, unto the Lord. So, you know, Cain, he rounds up all this stuff. You know, the, the, you know he, he, he pulls together the best of his harvest as a, as, a, as a sacrifice unto God. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings, meaning like the, the firstborns of his flock 
and of the fat thereof, meaning he brought the best, ripest, newest, firstborn, you know, uh, 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 calf to be sacrificed unto God. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, I need to kind of unpack this part right here just a little bit because the reason you need to understand before we get further down into this the reason why Abel's gift was respected by God the reason why is because he had to take a life to get it it was a real sacrifice see the plants all he had to all Cain had to do was pull those from the ground, and, and, and you know, or you know, arrange them in a, in, in you know, in a basket or some shit like that. But see, Abel, who was the baby brother, he had to kill this animal, because that's what that's what the animal sacrifice was. He had to kill it with his own hands, run the blood out, all that, and prepare it. I mean that's that's some savagery, bro. And he was and he was the meeker and the softer of the two. You know, and that was the reason why God was because because he had to give up something. He had to actually give up something. He had to sacrifice something. He had to take a life. This this is a theme that plays out multiple times in the Bible. It's the same as when when Adam laid down his life for Eve. And biting of the apple. It's the same theme. And it plays out over and over and over again. Self-sacrifice. Because you have to understand that Adam had taught his boys about the earth and about pulling things from the ground. And Abel, those were his sheep. It was his job and it was his responsibility. And so in a sense, he, he had to abdicate his own responsibility to make a sacrifice to God. Just to what you would say or what some would say to something that's not even there. It's a strong sacrifice. Might even seem crazy to some. I'm sure it seemed crazy to Cain. So let's keep reading. And Abel, but see, God understood. And, that, and that's really what matters. And Abel... He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth. He was pissed off. He was angry. And his countenance fell. This is your countenance fall. Countenance. It means that like his soldiers were down after that. His face was falling. He was down at the dumps. He, he he was like, yeah. Sounds sounds a lot like shadow possession, doesn't it? Like what we were just talking about, about how the, the countenance falls as a, a flat line that you that you meet when you do not own up to your bullshit. You hit this flat line state where you're just kind of down in the dumps. Let's see what happens. And the Lord said unto Cain, because see, the beautiful thing about God, that science, no man on this earth can do, is that God 
sees both of you guys. He sees the unconscious mind and he sees the conscious mind. He sees all of it, all at once. And so right then and there, even though Cain wouldn't call himself on his bullshit, God did. And said, and the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? I mean, like, why are you mad? And why is thy countenance falling? Why are you walking around down in the dumps? And God, not only does he not rebuke him outright, because he just wanted to know what, what his deal was. He even gives him a bit of advice that he could, a bit of actionable advice that he could actually improve on to improve his lot. And what does God say in verse 7? I love that number. If thou doest well, meaning if you do a good job, shalt thou not be accepted? Like, you do a good job? Like, like he, he's basically telling us, like, bro, he's like, you, you do good work. Like, you, you take care of your family. You bring, the, you, you bring in the fruit. You, you, nobody starves because of you, bro. You're doing good. Why are you mad? And then it goes on to say, he says, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. He's also like, he's like, he's like, you, when you do good work, your value, in and out, doesn't really matter. Your value when you do good work. And he said, if you don't do a good job, sin lies at the door, man. He says, so if you want, if you want to half-ass this shit because you don't feel like you got, right, you're already, you're, you're walking down a path of, 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 of making just more mistakes, man. This is what God himself tells him. And unto thee, and this is God still speaking to him, he says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, rule over what? I'm going to read that part again, just in case you missed it. It says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. His desire. What do you think his desire is referring to? I would be remiss if I didn't say that it is not referring to the shadow. See, God knows. God knows. He just he just simplified it for him. He's called it his desire. Because in essence, that's what the shadow does. The desire, the, the, the shadow desires all manner of things. It desires honesty, it desires the truth, it desires uh, to to, to be free, it desires, it desires, it wants, it wants, it wants, it needs, it needs, it needs. 24-7 is the little scoundrel in your head that's out for me. Me, 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 my, my, mine, all the damn time. And God knew in this instant that Cain was being gripped by this. And he gives him, a, gives him some good advice, some actionable advice, so he can get control over it. So what happens? In verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So he went to Abel, he went to talk to him. And somewhere in this conversation, tragedy strikes because it says, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, meaning he killed him. He killed his baby brother. Verse nine, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Because see, you can do things. What is, what is hidden in the darkness always comes to the light. It was something my mother used to always tell me, and it's never not been true. But you know, back in those days, it just happened a lot sooner than you wanted to. And so, and the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. This is Cain speaking. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And he said, what hast thou done? This is God speaking to, to, to Cain. He said, and God says to him, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out, crieth unto me from the ground. Meaning that, 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 that Abel's blood was crying out to God from, from in the earth. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened up her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Yeah. I won't continue reading, but you kind of get the gist. You know, Cain gets cursed for what he did to his brother. The thing about it, though, is that he would have been cursed either way because his inner, his, his inner unconscious mind would have never allowed him to forget. And it would have tormented him. And he would have done all manner of probably more messed up stuff if that continued until he had actually got a, a hold on himself. The When God curses him, the, ironically, Cain says that the punishment was too severe. He couldn't bear it. Because he, he receives a mark from God uh, on his flesh for what he did to his brother. It was something that he wore outwardly for the sin that he committed against his baby brother. And he and Cain made a point to him that because Cain was the first and the only one that had been punished for something that he had thought of in his head. It was premeditated. <laughs> Where do you think the idea of premeditated comes from? It was premeditated. And he was already wroth about it. He already was thinking about taking his brother out. The guy jumped on him before he could actually go down that line of thinking to try to save him. And it didn't work. And so he marked him outwardly for something that he had conceived firstly in his mind. See, people would like to think that the things that they think don't necessarily translate into reality. But we all know that that's a lie. And it's the things that we do not want to acknowledge as thought, the things that we refuse to acknowledge, the true selves that lie beneath all the bullshit that we've been telling ourselves for years, all the content that we thought was cool, that we emulated, the fact that all girls now wear fucking leggings 24 damn 7. All of these things come from a place. It's just that it might not be as far away as you would think it is. It's not as, it's not as simple as saying that it's just advertising or that it's just the, the, the system or it's just society that we live in, you know, that, that makes us want to do these things that, that, you know, gets us to go into these, these darkened spaces in our mind and act these things out. It's just you. It's you that you refuse to acknowledge. It is the shadow that lurks underneath your skin, the part of you that is capable of being that prison guard in Auschwitz, the part of you that's capable of being, you know, General Mao and Stalin and Hitler and a rapist or a murderer or someone who abuses kids. It is what takes over a mother when she drowns her newborn baby because she's exhausted and all she wants is silence. 
That's what it is. And understanding, true understanding, true acknowledgement of who you really are, true understanding of your thoughts and watching your thoughts, practice and repetition of these acts is the only thing that will help you to gain true control over yourself. And if you do not do these things, it doesn't matter if you believe in what I'm saying or not, you will act this shit out. Because your unconscious mind, is, as much as, as you think that your conscious mind you know, it, it runs all, it's still, it's, it's still steering. It's still steering. You're a true believer whether you want to be or not. Your unconscious mind will not allow you to be otherwise. So yeah, I'm gonna add all the links to all of this and uh, a YouTube video or two from some some guys I follow now. Uh, man, it's really 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 good stuff. Um, Samurai Jack Lewis, he he put me onto it. Me and Lewis are gonna be making another podcast this coming uh, Monday or Sunday together. I think probably gonna be Monday because I'm off. But uh, yeah, and. He's got some good stuff uh, that we are going to uh, be dropping soon. So, yeah, um, if you liked it, share it, like it. Uh, Do you have any questions or you just want to talk some shit or debate me or whatever? I don't really care. Just send me a message. I'll add my Instagram, my Facebook, and, you know, for shits and giggles, I'll put my Snap on here. I don't even use my Snapchat anymore, but, I mean, yeah, whatever. Um... I will, I want to end this on a positive note. So, you, I want people to to understand that that awareness is like the starting point for all of this. You know, being aware. You know, and introspection. Doing this work is vital. It, it, it's it's not even just vital just for you. It's vital for everyone that's around you. I can't tell you how often young men stop me and they watch how I work and how I'm high speed and low drag about everything and they and they want to know where I get the confidence from and the confidence I can 100% admit comes from my darker self because when I was a kid I didn't I didn't I didn't have a stronger me to hold on to I didn't have squat and uh It's important to do this work. It's how you get these tools. It, it really does. It, it has far-reaching ramifications. And you know what? <clears throat> I would be remiss to say that I'm kind of a living example of that. 